Tenekoto, Namai, Hairamai. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the realms of the unexplained, of the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your hosts. I'm Marianne. Thanks so much for joining me today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. Sit back, relax, let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and see what awaits us there. Death, the final frontier, to steal and paraphrase those famous opening words from the original Star Trek TV series uttered by William Shatner, who played Captain James T. Kirk in this classic show that spawned, oh, so many other sci-fi shows. Is death the end of us, or do our souls continue on? Are we even aware that we've passed over, that we're dead, or does our manner of passing influence our awareness of our death? But actually, is death the final frontier, or is it merely a resting phase before we move on to a different journey, rebirth into this reality perhaps, or life on other planets, other realities? Many people have had encounters with loved ones, be they friends or family, who have moved on from this phase of our existence. But what happens if you work in an industry that deals with death on a daily basis, such as that of the funeral directors or undertakers? Do you actually have these souls around you while you're working on their bodies, preparing them for their funerals, their viewings, preparing their bodies for the opportunity for loved ones to farewell them and to celebrate the fact that they lived and were loved? Do they have encounters with the spirits of these people? In this episode, which is our very first episode of this year in 2022, we're going to take a walk into the world of working with the dead, specifically in the field of funeral directors. But before we do, I want to welcome you all. If this is your first time listening to our podcast, thank you so much for joining us. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. And I hope, whatever your belief systems, that you had a safe seasonal break. It's awesome to have you all here and to be back. So, now we're here. Are you ready to walk with me into this part of the Shadowlands and see what awaits us there? Then let's begin. Right from the time that she was just a wee lass of 13 years old, my guest knew that she wanted to be a funeral director. In fact, it was right after an aunt's funeral that she told her mum that this is what she wanted to become because she wasn't impressed by the way her aunt's funeral was held. She actually told her mum that she could do a better job than the undertaker. When she was 16, the funeral homes in New Zealand had an open day so people could go and visit and see what they were all about. So her mum took her to it. She recalls asking the funeral director 60,000 questions and this only fueled her desire to work in this industry. 
So at 18, she finished high school and started applying at funeral homes in her hometown. Most of these places tried to dissuade her from following this vocation, and actually, at that stage in New Zealand, female funeral directors were like hen's teeth. Very rare indeed. It was regarded as a male profession and not suitable for females. Eventually, my guest tried places in different cities and finally was able to get an apprenticeship with a funeral director and completed the necessary papers to become an accredited funeral director here in New Zealand. She eventually moved to Wellington with a gentleman who was just opening up his business there. And whilst in Wellington, actually lived in the funeral home. Eventually, leaving the profession due to family issues, she then married and had children. Now, with a young family who are currently her focus, my guest is planning on a return to the profession she loves when her wee ones are a bit older. I want to welcome my guest, Jenna. Jenna, thank you so much for agreeing to talk with me today. I, For my listeners, Jenna is a member of my Walking the Shadowlands Facebook group. And we had a thread up. I can't actually even remember what the thread was about now. And Jenna spoke up about some of her experiences, her paranormal experiences that she had had while working as an undertaker in a funeral parlour. So I asked her if she would be willing to come on to our podcast and share these experiences with you because the little that she did share was so interesting that I felt that you all would really be interested in hearing what she has to say. So Gina, thank you very much for agreeing to do this. I know that it's a bit nerve-wracking. Thank you for having me, Marianne. It's uh, and, and also it's really nice to put a face to the name, you know. Like I see all of these names that pop up regularly in the group, but you don't see the people behind them. So it's really nice to connect with you on that level as well. Oh, absolutely! I'm a little bit starstruck. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Miriam. <laughs> about yourself about your maybe your work history hobbies sure let me see when I was 13 that's when I decided I wanted to be a funeral director and in Bama and I, t- I sort of told my mum it was actually shortly after my great auntie's funeral and I was sort of I went to go and view her and I was like you know what I could do a better job than that so you know at 13 wow. like, cocky wee thing I was but you know and so I said to my mum you know that's you know I'm that's what I want to do I think that was like you know I think that would be really nice because I've always been quite 
about wanting to help people, you know, and right and things. So, um, my mum, bless her, she took me to an open home, which was unusual. I don't know if they do them anymore, but they had open homes when I was sixteen. They opened up all the funeral homes so that people could go through and tour them, and you know, I guess it just takes some of the mystery away, right? Um. And bless my mum, she took me through, we went in, I was having a good poke around the mortuary, asking like 60,000 questions to, you know, the, the funeral directors and whatnot. And um, yeah, so that just really cemented it for me. I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Fabulous. So uh, when I was 18 and finished high school, I went and I worked in a daycare centre for a few weeks because um, I had done my early childhood degree and then I just decided that wasn't for me mm-hmm. um you know and that I just couldn't shake this funeral directing thing from my head so um that was it I went and applied to all of the funeral homes in my town you know which is hard it's a hard industry to actually get into it's quite difficult it, it, yes um, it is I have a friend who's just done a well about a year or so ago she did a funeral director's course and she just can't find work in the placement. area yeah, yeah it's very difficult and you know I got laughed out of a lot of places because I was so young you know and wow. they were like oh you can't handle that you know <laughs> and I was like oh, I can and you know I had people trying to tell me horror stories and things and I was like that's fine it won't bother me you know it's all right anyway I finally found somebody that gave me a chance and so I started working with him and then I got an opportunity to go down to Wellington with another funeral directing colleague that I had met and he was going to open his own funeral home and asked me if I would go down there and open that up with him. So that's where, uh, that is the place where I was living in in the home because, you know, there was only the two of us working there. So um, at the time we didn't have anyone to fill in and so you'd kind of go home and then get called back a lot. So there was no real point in paying rent. (laughs) Right, right. To live somewhere else, you know, when I was spending so much of my time at the home. So, uh, yeah, I just moved into the, the home, and, you know, it was, yeah, really great. So, and I, I loved it. I did love it. Um, I had to move away for personal um, family reasons. I had to move back home here. So um, I kind of fell into my job that I'm in at the moment and have, just kind of been rotting there for the last uh, 15 years um just because it's convenient for me right. at the moment you know and I've got little kids so it's kind of hard to do the funeral directing kids uh with little kids you know you oh, can't get up yeah. and leave in the middle of the night if you have to and, you yeah know. yeah yeah being on call yeah. is, is a hard thing so did you actually do any training did you like train uh, uh, formally or was it all on the job training um it was all on the job training my boss down in Wellington he applied to actually be able to train me himself because he used to run um, a lot of the training programs back in his day so um and he got accepted to do that um to be, rather than my having to go but you have to have two years on the job experience before you can even apply to that uni anyway Wow. And he was sort of like, well, you know, um, if I'm training you, I kind of want you to be trained my way. He didn't really agree with um, a 50% pass mark. He wanted 70% pass mark because, wow. you know, yeah, you know, good to me if you can only do 50% of your job. Yeah. <laughs> 
that's a really good attitude yeah so yeah I was actually being trained by him but they were formally recognizing um a lot of that work so oh that's great yeah it was a bit of an odd thing I don't think many people would have that opportunity but I mean he was an amazing man to learn from he had so much experience you know he'd done the Erebus disaster and um, he had worked over in the United States and he taught me so many things that I wouldn't have learnt at the normal training program you know we worked on um, facial reconstruction and and things like that which were amazing he had amazing techniques that he was able to take me through and um, that I could learn that I wouldn't have learned elsewhere yeah Wow. And how did you like, how did your parents feel about you doing this? Like, was uh, it, were they a bit concerned about you going into an area that some could see perhaps as morbid or? Uh, my my mother wasn't. No, she was an incredibly supportive woman and she had never ever made us feel uncomfortable around death or anything um we were attending funerals from before five years old you know the family ones and so it was all very normalized for us and she was incredibly supportive she would get a little bit nervous when I was hopping in the shower and gave her my phone and said you know can you answer this for me if it rings (laughs) um and she did have to a couple of times and she did very well but um no she was incredibly supportive I did have some family members you know um uh, especially in the older generation that were just sort of, oh, what on earth would you want to do that for? You know, oh, my goodness, why can't you go and be a secretary or something? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, that kind of thing. So, yeah, but oh. no, my, my actual mother, she was very, very supportive of me, which was wonderful. That's awesome. That makes such a difference, doesn't it? Especially since it's an area that a lot of people have fear about. They're very scared of death. And it was it was very interesting because I would find, you know, in social situations, it's one of the first questions people ask you, isn't it? You know, mm. hi, my name's this. How are you? What do you do? You know, and then it would be really interesting. Some people would say, oh, I'm a funeral director in Alabama. And they would like just blank stare at you and not know how to continue with the conversation and you know it's a bit I found it a little bit of a strange reaction but you know I guess it some people it does make them a little bit uncomfortable and then you have really morbidly curious people oh so what do you do like, oh yeah, Lord, you know give, give me details yeah, <laughs> yeah right yeah and then there are always that few that you really don't want to know yeah yeah <laughs> and then um oh the jokes oh my lord you know oh how was work today dead was it oh come <laughs> on guys <laughs> they get old <laughs> they yeah get old yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a friend who was in the navy and this was back when there was a really popular song sailing I don't know if you heard it back in the 70s 80s it was sailing it was a really lovely song and every time that the ship would come into the harbour, the local radio station would play that song. And, you know, they just got, like you, sick of hearing the same jokes, the same songs, the same. Yeah, I guess it's a, uh, uh, what's the word? People think they're original. 
yes, they do. Yes, and my fake laugh started getting less and less convincing, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be hard. Look, we've actually, how many years did you work in the industry? Um, I was in the industry for about two or three years um, before I had to move away. Right, right. I can actually see you going back to it, to be honest. I desperately want to go back to it, yeah. desperately, just when the kids are a little bit older. Yeah, because it's like being a, like a medical personnel being on call all the time. I don't know if you heard, but a few seasons ago, I actually spoke to Dean and Karina Weber. I think that's their name. They're funeral directors up north. Oh, lovely, yeah. Yeah, and he had a couple of experiences as as well and I think it sort of goes with the territory when you're dealing with dead people uh, I actually think you start to get quite used to it you know it just becomes sort of part of you know of your working life right let's go back to the beginning when it when it uh, a dead person arrives at your funeral home how do you guys treat them like, do you personally treat them like, did you personally treat them like they were still alive and you talked to them as you were working on them? I always did, yes. It just um, felt natural to me to talk to my clients, you know, and that's how I always referred to them as my clients. And I would chat away and use their names and let them know what we were doing and, and what we were up to and you know um anything I would be doing sorry (laughs) so it just was quite natural to me to talk to to the to my clients and um yeah you know um if it was quite sad then you know when I'm talking to them like I would just acknowledge that or you know and I've met your mum or I've met your daughter and you know blah blah and just yeah Sitting and just talking to them and letting them know what whatever it was that I was doing um, as well. So that's really cool. Yeah, it just to me felt like a sign of respect. You know, I was just going to say that's a respect thing, even though they're not in their body, they're still around. Yes, yeah, and you know, I got that feeling quite often, and sometimes it would be a very very strong feeling. So just making sure that I was acknowledging that that person and, and letting them know what what it was I was doing you know I always thought um if it was me and I was hanging around and someone was you know um you know touching my body or something well I would quite like them to let me know what it was that they were doing and things like that so so respect is really big and it's really great that you talk to them like that when you first started, 18 is very young to be in an industry like that, but it's no younger than being a nurse. Yes, exactly. And and nurses deal with death all the time. I remember uh, one time back in, ooh, it would have been the late 70s, 76 or 77, somewhere around there. And I was done in Wellington at the time. I was on duty and you know what Wellington weather's like you know when it storms it can be really stormy I was working in Lower Heart Hospital at the time and it was a really horrible stormy night you know like all those horror stories thunder and lightning and I had student nurses on the ward with me and we had this patient who just died it's kind of a funny story and I was training them 
how to lay out a body before you guys came to pick them up you know how we wash them and we put wrap them and we tag them and well they used to I don't know what they do these days and we were washing this body and as we were washing the body of this of this person we I got the girls to roll him so we could wash his back and at that minute he expelled the ear so it sounded like he was moaning and right right at that point in time there was this huge thunderclap and lightning just it was just the perfect timing as he let out this long expert you know all this ear out and the girls screamed honestly they both screamed they ran they I actually had something similar once when I um, was with with a, a young man that we had come in and uh, I had walked past him um, on the table and his hand had slipped into the pocket of my scrub pants and because I kept walking I was moving his arm which was causing the muscles to contract in his hand and it felt for the life of me like he was squeezing my thigh and I let out a little squeak then I'll tell you that much (laughs) but it it was funny because you know his family were the um they let me know you know oh you know he was a cheeky guy he was always pranking people and you know such a fun loving character and I was like oh yep that makes sense (laughs) yeah that does that does yeah that was it was awfully it gave me a big fright I'll tell you that much <laughs> yeah it would have and were you in the room by yourself at the time yes yeah. <laughs> even, worse, even worse oh wow oh that's funny yeah I, I'll never forget these nurses they just screamed blue murder I, I literally screamed and they both took off and the charge nurse came in and said what the heck's going I told her and she cracked up. Uh, the, the girls had to go and have a cup of tea to calm themselves down. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But I understand uh, that would have been really scary for you. Yeah. It's, yeah our bodies do interesting physiological things. Yes, they do. They certainly do. And you do. It's like, you know, you would have been more experienced nurse at the time and you know, once I got a little bit more experience under my belt, it didn't, you know, didn't give me rights as often. So how was it for you when you first started? Did it take you a while to adjust to working with the with your clients? Uh, it, like in certain situations it did, you know. Um, if we had a, a lovely elderly person that had just passed away from, you know, natural causes and things well that was you know that's what everybody expects you're going to be dealing with right um and so I was quite prepared for that I thought I had prepared myself quite well for other situations but um you know some of them do throw you a little bit and especially um I'm quite an empathetic person naturally and um so a a few of them I did find quite tough you know um unfortunately my first embalming experience was a little baby so that was a bit off you know um it just threw me a little bit uh that one but again I was honestly I was just talking to this little baby like it was just any regular little baby and we were chatting and 
I was just, yeah, it was, you know, it was a bit um, rough, I think, for my first go. <laughs> that would be really difficult. I mean, you can deal with adults because they've had full lives, but dealing with children or people who died under traumatic circumstances must have been really difficult. Yeah, I, I did find uh, homicides quite difficult as well. Mm. Um, you know, and I would have my normal feelings of just outrage, you know, because I just, it's that overwhelming feeling of no person has the right to do that to another yeah, person. Yeah. Um, but we did have one in particular where I was quite, it was quite um, odd for me to deal with, you know, this rage that I was feeling towards the perpetrator didn't feel like it was my own because I wouldn't think that I would have felt that angry, you know, so personally, just viscerally angry at this perpetrator. Whereas, you know, of course you're outraged and of course you're, you're Mm -hmm. mad, but every time I was around this person, it was just this overwhelming fury, you know, um, directed at this perpetrator and uh, one of the odd things that was happening when I was working with this person was um, you know you you, you keep them covered if you are not working on a certain area you keep that area covered much like when you're at a doctor or you know um, nursing Um, and this this person's sheet just kept slipping off of the wound um, off one of the wounds but Obviously, I felt like that was probably the wound that was the the, uh, culprit in the situation um, because it was just so bizarre for me because, you know, and I would be putting it back and I would be putting the sheet back quite firmly, you know, and then I'd turn around and turn back and the sheet's back off this wound and, you know, and it was just this, just this overwhelming anger and it was not my own. And when I left the room, you know, if I walked out, then it was I was back to my you know normal state of mind so right yeah oh that's really interesting so obviously this gentleman was influencing your emotions with his anger at what had happened to him yeah yeah I I believe so because it was not natural for me to be feeling yeah that level of of anger yeah. yeah, and and was there any reason, any physical reason why the sheet would have kept slipping off of him? No, because I was doing everything that I could. You know, I I tucked it under where I could and was like, yeah. you know, stay, <laughs> just stay. But you know, it kept, it did it kept moving, and it was just so, you know, it was just so unexplainable to me. You know, there was nobody else in the room. It was just me. You know, and um. And it quite often happens that these things happen when you're on your own. Right. Um, I was going to yeah. say, do they? Uh, I would. I would imagine it would generally be by yourself. But have you ever had things happen when there's somebody else in the room with you? Um, once or twice. Uh, just it, it didn't really happen that often when there was more than one. Right. Um, actually, funnily enough, the Two times I can remember off the top of my head, both um, both of our clients were car crash victims, which I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but 
it may not <laughs> but you yeah. know it's just a, a little bit of an observation from me that both instances where we did have things um, move of what appeared to be their own accord uh, when both myself and my boss were in the room both of them had um, suffered injuries in a car accident so I'm not sure. So what actually happened? You got me interested now. Yeah. So um, in the first instance, we were embalming this client. And again, I'm just talking away. And my boss was very used to me doing that, you know. Um, And so uh, he was uh, over at the embalming uh, machine where he was uh, mixing up uh, fluids and things for me. And I was uh, with the the gentleman in question, and um, right, uh, which was so we had a long bench that went across the back of the room, um, and in the corner where neither of us was anywhere near, you know, um, we just had uh, one of our tools just go flying off the bench, and it was just landed on the floor, and I was like, what? And you know, my uh, my boss was a skeptical man, you know, yeah. <laughs> but uh, even he was like. Uh, what happened there? <laughs> you know. So, yeah, um, that was the, the first one. And so um, I just did what came naturally to me and just, um, you know, chatted to the client again. And I was like, it's all right, you know, it's okay. And there's nothing that can be done now. And we're just here to look after you. And, you know, it's all right. <laughs> we're going to take good care of you and, and your family. So just reassuring mm. the person because. Um, that's what I felt we needed to do. Right. That that actually that must be very comforting to the souls who, quite often, are still confused, especially in traumatic situations like that, where they are, where they pass in traumatic situations. Uh, for you to to be talking to them like that would be quite comforting to them. So that's really awesome that you did that. Mm, yeah, well, I mean, I keep trying to, like I say, always have myself in, in their shoes, you mm. know, like mm. because I am a strong believer in um, the afterlife and, and spirit and, and people hanging around. So like I say, goodness me, if I was hanging around and I wasn't sure or I was upset, you know, mm. I, would, I wouldn't like to be given the silent treatment, you know. <laughs> exactly. So what happened in the second instance? So in the second instance, um, again, it was actually in the embalming room. So the same place again, a different client. Um, and my boss was finishing up. Um, so he was suturing. And I was just cleaning down um, our client, just giving them a nice wash and um Clean. I was actually cleaning under his fingernails <laughs> because he had a lot of. Um, he had been a, a mechanic, so right, <laughs> you know, he had right. a lot of grime under his fingernails. So I was just giving him a little clean up, and um, so we were we were actually near the end there, like quite quite finished in that in that sense. And that one was um, we had. Uh, uh, like scrub apron type things right. on the back of the door yeah and so, and they were hooked on to a hook on the back of the door um and 
I, I just I saw it at the corner of my eye and it just jumped off the hook, like jumped off. It wasn't it wasn't like there was a wind or it was blowing or or right. anything. It just just popped right off the hook off the back of the door and so again and like I said my boss was quite a skeptical man but again he was like well what because there was there was actually no way that a draft could come into our embalming room right uh so yeah it was that was quite interesting too and so I I got the feeling from that (laughs) that one that that was just a cheeky cheeky person you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> wanting to give us a bit of a start and, yeah yeah you know. and some fun with you yeah right. and so you know you have a bit of a giggle with him and I was like you just stop that young man you know <laughs> don't don't try to be playing games with me it's <laughs> so. a good way to handle it yeah and so it, obviously initially it would give you a start but after that you dealt with it really well I would say and for your boss to be a skeptic and work in that area and see stuff like that, it must give him poor. He's probably not as skeptical as he made out he was. No, I, you know, I don't believe, especially given how long he had been working in the industry, which was, I don't know, 40 plus years. Oh, wow. you, you couldn't stay really skeptical. I really think that was just a cover story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or a coping mechanism. <laughs> yeah. But also, I think if you're op- more open and spiritually open like you obviously are and were back then, that the spirit will make themselves more known to you. Yes, yeah. I, and I believe that, you know, um, I don't, like, I, I've i never seen a spirit and, and like, with my eyes um, right. except for this one time in the casket room um and it was just a flash it would have been half a second maybe um but I was going down we had a family coming in um to pick out a casket uh for their family member and I just went down to the casket room just to make sure it was all still in order and tidy and you know um because sometimes it would unknowing don't know how but sometimes it wouldn't be in order so I would go like you know go and check before we had people coming so and just like just out the corner of my eye and it was just a flash but it was a silhouette of of a man and I was like oh that was odd um and it was just standing in front uh, just standing in front of one of the caskets that um I had made actually so (laughs) I was like oh yes okay uh, we used to have turns at making caskets and things. Oh, and really? have, we used to have like a little bit of a healthy competition going on about, you know, whose caskets were chosen more or, you know, things like that. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I, I prepared the rest of the casket room and uh, the family came in and they just walked straight immediately straight to that casket. They said this one. And, you know, I was trying to explain to them that, you know, actually was a display casket it wasn't really meant to be used um and it was just one that we had displayed to show some of the things we could do with caskets um and they were like oh no this is perfect it's exactly like his boat that he owned and so I turned the lid of the casket around for them because I had placed a decal on there Um, 
and it was a gone fishing with a man fishing off a boat, you know. And they cracked up. They were just in hysterics and they were just like, this is perfect. Like, this is absolutely perfect. Please. So I had to let them have it, you know. I couldn't yeah. not let them have it. But it was just funny because I'd just seen that flash of a person standing right there in front of that one. I've got goosebumps all over me. Yeah. Oh, I have goosebumps remembering it. It was a, yeah, it was so surreal. Wow. So obviously this gentleman wanted that one and it reminded him of his fishing boat. So. <laughs> and, and he obviously had a great sense of humour as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And his family did. I mean, it was just so funny. I turned this lid around and they just absolute hysterics. They were all laughing so hard and they oh. were like, it's perfect, you know. Oh, that's actually really quite touching and, and lovely that in the middle of their grief, you the raw grief that that they could appreciate the humor and that that's really cool yeah no and it, it was wonderful and so yeah we definitely let them have that <laughs> right so, yeah so now you lived in the in the home for a while yes did you have experiences when you lived in the home I did yeah I sure did <laughs> So um, I had one one night, you know, and I was trying to sleep, and I I just I just couldn't sleep. We had a um, a little baby in at the time, and I just couldn't sleep. I could just hear baby crying all night, and you know, and I would tell myself, you know, <laughs> you know, it's not the baby; the baby is not crying. But I, that's all. It's all I could hear. It's all I could hear. And then um, as soon as baby left our care, there was nothing. It was, you know, silent again and I could sleep. So <laughs> That must have been, that must have actually been, well, scary for one, but also incredibly, like, sad. It was, it was actually um, quite distressing because, mm. you know, I'm a, I'm a woman, so I, I mm. have those uh, maternal sort of instincts, you know, where yeah. If you can hear a baby crying, you want to stop the baby from crying. But yeah. when there's not an actual baby, you can go and pick up and, you know, yeah. and, and stop from crying. I was like, I don't know what to do, you know. And and to be honest, I didn't know how to handle that situation. You know, um, like we've talked about with the adults, I'd be like, it's all right. You know, there's yeah. not much we can do. It's okay. We're going to take care of you. And I didn't really know what to do in the case of, of this you know I didn't know if there was anything I could say or or do really so yeah that one was a little bit um a little bit distressing because I didn't know what to do yeah I would I as as a mum well as a mum now you might handle the situation a bit differently yes know. yeah and it, it is interesting you know I was very young at the time yeah. so I didn't have yeah. a lot of um experience and now as a mother I'm like oh I wish I had I don't know, got up and gone to shush or shush the yeah. baby or, you yeah. know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that must have been so difficult. I, 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 You know, like it's enough dealing with this, but dealing with babies and little ones that pass, that's, that's really difficult. And hearing something like that would be very distressing. Yeah, that one was quite distressing for me just because, like I say, I was so young and I just didn't <laughs> know what to do or how mm. to handle that mm. yeah have you had uh um, before we talk about more experiences when you lived in the home ha what is the 
have you had an experience that has really scared you? Well, when I first started, we had a lady come in and it I guess it scared me just to do my job, really, because right. we uh, went and picked her up from her home. As you know, we can pick them straight up from home if, if a doctor signed off mm. um, on their cause of death and whatnot. So we went and picked her up from her home and we brought her in and she's wrapped up all snuggled in her blankets, you know, from home. And yeah. It was lovely, but um, it, it it worried me because she was still so warm, you know. Right. Um, and I don't know if um, people listening would be aware, but when you pass away, your body temperature actually rises, it actually gets warmer before um, you cool down. So I was like, oh, but she's so snuggled up and, you know, yeah, <laughs> just leave yeah. her snuggled for a while, you know. And, um, yeah, so that, that really threw me off. Uh, with that lady and so that was that was okay so I was just looking after her you know I mean you're a nurse you were used to that and I always said to my best friend she's a nurse and I always said to her I couldn't do that you know I I don't I wouldn't be able to deal with being a nurse I'm too anxious you know and it that scares me you know I'll look after the person when there's nothing else that can be done you know (laughs) that's what I will do um you know so yeah that really threw me off and um like you say when somebody passes away there's just these um normal bodily functions that happen you know and um personally I have a phobia of choking so so this person um you know was just expelling liquid uh from her mouth and her nose and I just Um. I just panicked like I just I sheer panic and I screamed for my boss and he come running and he just like you know he had to calm me down I had to go and have a cup of tea you know wow you know it's okay you know it's all right anyway I went back to the lady after I'd calmed down and had been convinced that it was fine and normal and I you know I apologized (laughs) I apologized to her. I said, I'm so sorry for screaming and I didn't mean to to scream at you and um you know that so uh, I kept working with her, but I did feel a hand on my shoulder. Oh, um after I had apologized and it, it almost felt like she was saying to me that it's like she it's almost like she was comforting me yeah, at that point. And yeah. it was like a role reversal that we wouldn't normally have had, but I actually was terrified in that moment. So it you know and then I felt awful for being terrified, you know. Right. So I was apologizing and it felt like she was comforting me, you know, <laughs> about oh, like that's, that's okay. That's actually really lovely and kind of kind of totally opposite what I was expecting. Um, like I I I was thinking of a scary paranormal and yeah. but that's actually really touching. That's actually really touching that you know she was concerned about you Mm. to let you know that it's okay she didn't take offense yeah I I haven't I I honestly I didn't have any scary paranormal situations in the funeral home I've I've had scary paranormal situations outside of the funeral home but not in there no and I I always felt like my clients knew that you know Mm. I was just there to look after them and Mm. you know I had really good intentions yeah you know 
and tenters mm. everything. I say that all the time in the group, and tenters everything. And certainly they would be aware of your intent for sure. Apart from you verbalising it, it would show in your energies. Yes. Um, I, I just want to tell you this one story because this lady was quite – it was the only time I've ever heard something come into my head so forcefully. And um, it was this uh, uh, lady that I was looking after and um, her son was um, obviously grieving his mother. It was very sad. And he was quite a young man, you know. Um, and a lot of the time they kind of use, the families use you as sort of a counsellor, you know, yeah. a bit of a um, person to confide in and whatnot. And I mean, I... I had instinctively been able to um, make make this lady up to the point where the, her family were just like, oh, my gosh, she looks exactly like she's just sleeping at home. How did you do that? This is, look, and they were just amazed. And they could say, look, look, you know, she just looks exactly like she's asleep at home. She looks so warm and, you know, lovely and blah, blah, blah. So it was really nice. And so we, I had built quite a quite a really good rapport with the family. And the son takes me aside and he says to me, you know, I'm thinking about proposing to my girlfriend. And then I just got shouted at inside my head, no. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> like I had no personal oh. feelings about whether this man should have did not propose yeah. to his girlfriend. But it was intense. It was so intense. And it was like this dread, like, no, it was like just this feeling of dread. And I was like, oh. So I just gently suggested to the young man, you know, maybe maybe you should just give it a few months and just grieve for your mother first and, you know, move past this, you know, a little bit. And, and then, you know, think about those things. I don't know if making big life choices right now is a good idea. So anyway, um, a few months later, they came in to finalise, you know, their account and everything with us. And uh, he, you know, he pulls me aside again. He says, oh, really glad that you told me to wait. No, we've broken up now. <laughs> was never going to work. And I thought, oh, good. You know, because I just knew that was his mother. Just, no. <laughs> oh, wow. That, and, and when you heard it, was it like your own voice or was it another voice? In your no, head? it was It was not my own voice. Oh. And it was, I, I jumped a little, you know, I gave myself yeah. a little jump at the time because I was like, oh, that was out of nowhere, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> sometimes, sometimes in spirit talks to you, it can sound like your own voice in your head. And sometimes it doesn't, obviously, in your case. Wow. Yeah, no, it was just so yeah I don't know I, I I can't tell you what the voice what the voice sounded like I don't think it would have sounded like her voice I don't know I don't know yeah, if it yeah. was a voice you know I'm not yeah sure yeah a voice because it was inside my head it wasn't through my ears you know right so it was just no <laughs> telepathic wow that would have been a really uh interesting experience I would say it was, yes, but I it was pleased to hear that he hadn't gone ahead with that because yeah. I don't think his mother approved. And great verification for you. It was 
it was yeah it was and I was like oh how about that you know maybe mum knew something that the rest of us didn't or yeah yeah mums generally do don't they yeah well as a mother myself now yes absolutely I can contest so. yeah yeah <laughs> so what other sort of experiences did you have living in the home so we like I don't know if many of them were to do with like so much as living in the home just as my just experiences in in general right um so living in the home I was actually quite peaceful it was quite lovely you know yeah have dinner and watch a bit of telly off I went to bed you know um and so most of the time I didn't have like like even if we had people there you know um and I'd always sign off with them before I'd like you know went out to make dinner or you know, went off to my quarters or whatever. I'd be like, right, I'm just gonna I'll be back in the morning, you know. Right. <laughs> blah blah blah. But um we had a couple of interesting things. One was that it was quite sad. So we had a, a father coming in and uh, his son had been in a car accident and he was a young young boy. And uh he was in a terrible position. It was an awful position. Um his son had passed. So he was in making arrangements with us, but his daughter was in ICU because she was in the same vehicle accident. So it was just an awful situation for him. Um, he'd come in to do some of the paperwork that we needed to to get done and try and make a couple of arrangements where we could. And then it was just, I just got this tight chest, just tight chest, um, chills you know like uh goosebumps yeah Yeah, goosebumps yeah and just this feeling of urgency you know and so I was like oh okay but I was feeling very uncomfortable with the the tight chest and the and the urgent feeling and I couldn't figure out why you know I scheduled enough time for us to to be able to go through things and he was talking away and then he just said to me what should I do you know I don't know what to do. What should I do? You tell me what to do. Uh-huh. And I just said to him, you know, I actually think we should just finish up here right now. You know, we can finish this later. Um, I think you should get up to your daughter and go and see her. I think that's where you're going to be best. And unfortunately, later that afternoon, uh, she left us and joined her brother. So, uh-huh. but he was able to be there for that. So it was just so. Um, it was touching, but also very confusing to me. You know, yeah, yeah, I, was, yeah. I was so so pleased um, that he got there and could have that time with her um, before, and could be with her and sit with her when she left us. But it was really confusing to me because I was, I didn't know where that had come from. Do you know what I mean? When when it's yes. a feeling, yes, it was absolutely. just this odd feeling, and I was like, I don't know where that's come from or who's done right. that you know right. or is that intuition was that her brother saying no right. dad you know I'm gone get to my sister or you know yeah but um it, awful totally completely so sad um yeah. so we ended up looking after his sister as well at the same time so oh, poor chap. but um yeah I'm I'm pleased that that happened because that did give him some time you know, yeah. 
with her and to be there because you'd just feel awful if you were stuck up at the funeral home and, and missed. Oh gosh, yes. Yeah. So um, that one was quite. Uh, that was quite an intense mm. um, feeling for me, and then I ended up feeling quite close with the family after, you know, because you yeah. do once you're. Yeah, of course. So, so involved with these things, and um, yeah, so yeah, that one, and then another one that we had was um, a gentleman who had committed suicide, but it was just weird because I was quite convinced from the moment I walked in the room to start looking after him that he actually hadn't meant for that to work. Right. Um. And it was just, you know, I, I was just giving it like washing them down and things. And um, all I could feel um, was just regret, just this mm. regret. And I just, that kind of messed me up for a couple of days. Mm. Because like these feelings, I know they're not my feelings. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, which is fine. But that one did kind of mess me up for a couple of days because you're like, ah. Oh, dude you know yeah really um and you know he had kids and and yeah. if I was around his his daughter it just intensified so much for me this regret oh, it's this feeling of absolute regret and so it was really hard for me to actually you know you've got to try and conceal yes how you're feeling yes to do your job professionally as well so it was mm. and, it, and it was like I say it was very confusing a lot of the time because I know they're not my feelings but yeah. I'm still feeling them so um to try and conceal that and, and do your job and be empathetic to the family but that one bugged me it bugged me for a while afterwards about oh you silly man you know like it just uh... it bugged me that he hadn't really meant to really go do you know what yeah, I mean? It was a cry for help. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's um, sad. Yeah. So that that did suck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. Now, the, and, and I can understand that it would have taken a while to get over those feelings because, you know, it's one thing to see a person pass because of accident or illness. But in a situation like that, it brings up your own personal feelings as well. Yeah, it does. And um, mm -hmm. it's, I guess, for me, it's, I'm as much trying to look after their families as I am them. Yeah, absolutely. You know? yeah. And uh, there were a couple of cases, you know, that I've already spoken about uh, we've had the homicide one that we discussed and, and the suicide one and the gentleman with the two children where I've just gone way above and beyond my job mm -hmm. description like what I'm actually supposed to do to try and help these families you know yeah. um, moving forward and and things so um, especially where there are children involved but there's anything I can do to try and help you know um, yeah. moving forward then what I try and do and I just uh, you know it makes me feel quite close to these families and like I really need to be trying to do everything that yeah. I can yeah um but yeah it was confusing as well some of the time you know so 
when there's feelings and you're like, these aren't my feelings. And you've got to yeah, get to yeah, yourself yeah. that, you know, like these aren't my feelings. And and it's really great that you had that awareness. Um, clear sentience is what that's called. When oh. you, yeah, there's, that's the name for that. That's how I work mostly. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, unless, until you're able to recognize that these emotions don't belong to you, it can be very difficult, but you obviously had that innate awareness that, hang on, this is from somewhere else, this doesn't belong to me. That's uh, quite a, a big thing to have that awareness, especially when you're so young. Yes, yeah. But, like, I mean, being so young. Yeah. It was um, still hard. Do you know what well, I mean? A- absolutely, yeah. absolutely, because you're still developing emotionally. Mm. You're still finding who you are as a person, and dealing with that on top of it is a really big thing. What to you has been the most memorable experience that you've had? Memorable paranormal experience? Um, sorry, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just right. trying to think about that. Um, in my career, in my career as an um, as a a funeral director in Bama. Um, my most memorable one is actually um, this is a, a older older woman, um, and so it was a, it was a nice you know it was lovely it was you know uh, when I say lovely you know like she was a good age you know right right. Did, lived her life and it was it was and this you know she just died peacefully she just slipped away and it was you know so that's as lovely as you can get I right think in my opinion um, so um and she like and it, this wasn't a scary one this mm. wasn't a scary one um but what was memorable to me about it was when I was working with her um I was instinctively you can ask the families for photos and things you know of, of your clients right um to, so that you can make sure you get things right but you can only ask them for a certain amount of time before you actually have to just get on and right do do your work so um this time we didn't have any photos of her um but it was bizarre to me because I don't remember a lot of actually working like working I remember talking away to her but I don't remember a lot of actually what I was doing with my hands and things do you know what I mean Mm -mm. and so um I thought she looked lovely you know (laughs) so um we took her out for a viewing and her family just they were all just gasping and they were just like oh my gosh that is exactly her makeup how on earth did you do that you know that's exactly how she'd get done up to go out to a you know out to a party or something and I was feeling weird (laughs) yeah because I was like well I didn't and nor can I you know when you're um when you're driving somewhere and then you're like oh shit I'm here already how did I get here and you don't remember driving there yeah it was exactly like that like I don't really remember too much doing it that's so really interesting. I, I believe that she was sort of influencing you, yeah. Try, yeah, like making sure we got her 
makeup and her hair right, you know. Yeah. And it was, it was just so bizarre because, you know, um, you have these photos that you put on top of caskets at a lot of funeral services yeah. and it was the same, wow. just exactly the same. And um, <clears throat> uh, hers was a, uh, a funeral service where um, we were attending the, the graveside, uh, you know, and they were just lowering her down and um, I just I felt two arms just around me and I was like oh you're welcome you know <laughs> oh that's lovely you know? oh wow and and so for me that's my most memorable because mm. that felt the most like a direct hey thanks you know or yeah 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 thank you and I was like oh wow but it just yeah and that I don't know what makes it the most memorable for me, but it was. And I think it was probably just just this this feeling that I got from from the family being so ecstatic, you know. Yeah. And she did look like this photo. <laughs> it was yeah. crazy and I wasn't trying. So for me it was most memorable because I'm like, well, obviously I don't think I was in charge of that whole process myself, you know. Mm-hmm. Like um I think that this woman was obviously just very particular about her makeup and, and her hair oh. and her presentation you know and and she wanted it just right so for me it's memorable because I don't remember doing it do you know what I mean yeah I know exactly what you mean that's really interesting yeah very particular woman yeah yeah and a lovely just a lovely little squeeze yeah okay bye (laughs) that's really lovely wow and it's not often that you know people get stuff like that no and and, and another thing to me, you know, I was a little bit like, oh, well, that's lovely, but I'm just the funeral director. Yeah, <laughs> what yeah. do I get a squeeze for? You know, yeah. like, that's my job. Like, yeah. But it's like people, you know, who think the nurses, it's our job, but our patients still appreciate what we do for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you'll know, why, why should you be any different? Yeah. Especially, you know, when you're dealing with a grieving family as well. So uh, these people, these souls would appreciate, your clients would appreciate the fact that you go out of your way to help their family as well. Yeah, and I suppose that's right. I mean, the families will often give you a little bit of a hug too, you know. Yeah. They thank you and, you know, all of that. So I suppose it's not that different really when you think about it. Now, I can't remember what. What experiences you put in the group that you mentioned? I I um, was just reading because there's a couple I've forgotten to mention. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. Thank you. Um, so quite often when I was working with somebody, um, and I was like, I was working on them. You know, you get to humming as yes. everybody does when they're working. You know, if I wasn't talking, I was humming or I was doing something. You know, I'm a little bit of a can't just be quiet and focus on one thing <laughs> type of person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But quite often, and it was like, it just became normal for me, but quite often I'd just get random songs stuck in my head, you know, and they'd be all random tunes that I wasn't even aware of stuck in my head, but I'd be, you know, like humming away. And then they would be songs that would either come on the radio or, um, and this happened often enough for me to start thinking it was a thing, they would be used in the funeral, you know, um, oh, as like a song that was, you know, right. um, 
related to the client. So, yeah, it was, um, you know, a lot of people do the photo slideshows with, you know, songs playing in the yeah. background. And quite often it would be one of those songs. I'm like, oh, I've heard that song. Oh, that's right. We were coming oh. it and, you know, um, things like that. So, that, and that was just a weird little thing that used to happen. So, which I just, you know, found quite, quite interesting. Because um, some of these songs, you know, I either hadn't heard for years or, you know, um, a couple of times didn't particularly like but was yeah. humming them you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. not like it was a favorite song of mine or anything and then one tune I didn't even know but then I was like oh so I thought I'd made it up to be fair I thought you know I was some kind of budding genius coming up with song lyrics <laughs> whilst I was working but it actually wasn't that um <laughs> was the song that they ended up playing at the funeral <laughs> so no I'm not a musical genius that can just come up with with songs off the top of my head <laughs> oh that's funny uh, I've always wanted to be musical yes yes because yes, I have always wanted to be musical <laughs> but unfortunately it's not actually my strong suit so <laughs> um yeah uh, so that was a bit disappointing for me but um, <laughs> uh yeah and then um the other one that I um had was a a young man Another cheeky young man. You'd be surprised how many young men get described as being cheeky, yeah. you know, when you talk to their families and whatnot. But when I was working on him, uh, bits of my hair were getting flicked up, and I could oh. hear, I could feel breath down my neck and just little oh, wow. little tweaks of my hair. And it wasn't even just while I was working on him. You know, the whole time that we had him with us, um, I could be in the office or, you know. Um, the casket room or anywhere else you know making a bloody cup of tea you know and then yeah. the next minute my hair's going like this and like it was just a real cheeky you know and the family's yeah. like oh they are they just he was such a cheeky wee thing you know you know um pranking people and making jokes and doing you know and they were telling me all these stories about the practical jokes that used to get up to and you know the balancing the bucket on the top of the door with the water in it and you know like real tricks the type thing so yeah uh, I would just just acknowledge that yes 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 you know <laughs> very oh. funny you know <laughs> come on and then I'd say his name and I was just like come on mate <laughs> and of course you were young you know young girl young male yeah you know, it's, <laughs> it's a normal it's a normal thing yeah yeah, yeah. it was quite the, the breathing down my neck I was like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been a bit creepy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. And uh, like I say, um, so many of these things would coincide with when we had people in the home, you know, and then mm-hmm. it would, you know, stop once they were they were gone and they were obviously going with their family right, or right. Um, uh, moving on. Um, one, though, I did go to see a psychic and she said she could see this young boy with me and she said that he wasn't related to me or anything you know um actually she thought he was from my work and she didn't know what I did at the time and mm. so yeah obviously had a little little bit of a clinger there for a little while yeah <laughs> that's all right I don't think that he stayed for too long but yeah it was just funny that I'd gone to see this person at the time and she said oh you've got a boy with you I think he's related to your work what do you do you know oh that's really interesting yeah so 
in in the home, like apart from the ones that that you've that you've told us about, were there other things like knockings and footsteps and stuff like that? Yeah, look, and there were, and but that was just so normal for me that it didn't bother me anymore. You know, okay. like because we would have um, the doors go, you know, the doors would open and shut. Like I say, the casket room always getting messed with. Yeah. And it wasn't me and it wasn't my boss who swore it wasn't him, you know, because yeah. I was accusing him left, right and centre of going to mess up my casket room. <laughs> Things just like the little casket pins, you know, and then they'd be like on the shelf next minute they're knocked off the shelf down the back or whatever. And I'm like, right. don't go in there again. I can't find this, you know, casket pin. And he's like, I haven't even been in there. <laughs> and um, yeah, little doors opening, shutting. Um, technical things a lot of computer glitches and um, we had a a giant vinyl machine so that we could cut out some of these decals to like personalize caskets a little bit more where clients wanted and then um, that would fritz out you know yeah (laughs) have to try and restart that again my coffee machine which I wasn't impressed about I started talking to people (laughs) about that because like just don't mess with my coffee machine leave it alone (laughs) I can understand that one being a coffee person myself um yeah just just things like that um I did and I don't even know if this was a paranormal experience but I did growl anyway um because I was having a shower and I hopped out the shower and I was just drying myself up and then all of a sudden the temperature just went like Uh, just real cold and I was like get out of here (laughs) is my personal space <laughs> so had a bit of a growl there you know that's actually a very if that was your first instinctive reaction then that was correct one last thing before we do finish have you ever had a client that you have felt was really evil for want of a better word no, I I don't think I've had a client that I felt was um, evil or nasty or anything. Um, I've definitely felt in a, in another homicide case. I've definitely um, felt energy around the situation, right. um, and most likely the perpetrator. And when I was working with this woman, I felt sad a lot, like. Right like a sad life type mm-hmm. situation um but it made me incredibly uncomfortable when when you know um people were talking about what had happened it made me incredibly uncomfortable so right. i believe that the perpetrator in that situation who was unfortunately known to the victim was probably a very evil right evil person Right, yeah. but um, yeah. and it was difficult because it was in the news a lot too, and so and just working with her, you'd get this feeling of that right. man is evil, you know, <laughs> right. and and hers was a very sad life. That's how I got the feeling, yeah. you know, from them. So no, not a client. I've definitely felt something evil outside of that situation in my personal life. Sure. which scared the living of Jesus out of me. I'm happy to share if you want. Yes, please. Um, I was 16.
16 and bulletproof <laughs> as you are at 16 mm-hmm. and for one reason my friends and I have been messing around with Ouija boards ah. and I was still skeptical that my friend was moving this coin you know right. you know to freak me out or to scare me so I decided to do one on my own yeah not smart um so and this is scary um this was terrifying for me um so I you know by myself sitting there with my Ouija board and calling things and then next minute it starts answering and it I was desperately 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 wanting to talk to my great auntie who had just passed away I was very very close with Uh. her and um I'd gone through a bit of depression, you know, like just really missing her after she'd passed away. And I was very upset. So I was really hoping that maybe I could get her, you know, like mm-hmm. if no one else was around, maybe I could get her, you know, and mm-hmm. we could talk. Um, so the board's moving and I'm sort of impatient. So I'm asking, is this my auntie, you know, and it's going yes. But then some of the other answers were not adding up to things she would say or the way she would answer questions or or anything like that and I'm kind of freaking out in and of myself that it's actually moving when it's just me as well so just bear that in mind you know yeah yeah. I'm having this like crazy oh my god it's actually working um and then I started to become quite scared because I was like I don't actually think this is my auntie and why would it be pretending to be my auntie you know if it's not and so I got quite worried so I was trying to say goodbye to this thing and it wouldn't say goodbye. And I took my finger off the coin right. and the coin just started moving towards me by itself, like just by itself. I wasn't touching it and it moved off the board and it was coming towards my person and I was so scared. And I picked it back up again and put it back on the board and I was like, right, I'm going to go now, okay. And then it just kept coming off the board and coming across the carpet towards me this coin across carpet towards my person and I was terrified and I just ran and I didn't even I didn't close the board I didn't finish anything I just ran outside and I just refused to go back inside the house for two three hours until somebody else got home because I was just so 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 terrified um because it felt so threatening to me yeah 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 um and I couldn't understand why this coin was coming at me. And um, it clearly wasn't who I thought I was trying to talk to. So, yeah, that was terrifying. That, that's been my most terrifying paranormal experience that, that I have, would have had. Been, that would have been really scary. And, obvi- and you know, you're sensitive enough to energies, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't have had all these experiences to recognize when something's not right Mm. and so what did you do did you cleanse your home afterwards yeah I had to build up quite a bit of courage before I could do much to be fair I think I actually went and slept in my twin brother's room for like three nights and then I was like okay um I gotta do something because you know I've watched enough horror movies to know that you don't just (laughs) right leave these things unattended um so yeah, I had to wait till everybody was gone because I couldn't tell my mother I'd been playing with a Ouija mm. board, you know. So um 
yeah, I had to wait till everyone was gone. And I got a couple of my friends around to come and help me, you know. <laughs> yeah, we did it. We did a cleansing of my house. And then, um, yeah, it was just scary, though. Yeah. It was so, it was just so scary. That's a very co- good cautionary tale and uh, probably a good way to, to end our conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, perhaps not so good for people listening if they're listening <laughs> at night. It might give them a bit of creeps a bit. But uh, look, Jenna, thank you so much for agreeing to come and share your experiences. It's been a very, very interesting chat. Thank you for having me. I want to again thank Jenna for being so brave as to come and share her experiences with us all. It can be very scary and daunting for some guests, especially since The Walk in the Shadowlands is listened to in over 85 different countries. And also I approached her in my online group, Out of the Blue. So it was very kind of her to agree to share with us all. And I really appreciate her patience in waiting for this episode to air. I have to say... It's so good to be back with you all, and I'm excited to see what this new season will bring for us all. Today's bumper music was called Beyond the Grave. If you enjoy this podcast and have considered becoming a sponsor, now's a great time to join. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash mcc15 and sign up now. As a patron, you get early access to the podcast episodes and a special members-only page on the podcast website that has bits that end up on the digital cutting board and little extras like full, raw, unedited video conversations with guests, EVPs caught during the conversations and so much more. Also, you can download full written transcripts of each episode and you get my absolute appreciation and gratitude. Patreon.com forward slash MCC15 for just the cost of a cup of coffee a month. And so you don't miss out on an episode, make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms, including iHeartRadio and Pandora as well. Also, if you have Alexa, simply say these four words, open Walking the Shadowlands, and Alexa will play our latest episode for you. Check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name, and our Twitter feed, at Shadowlands 10, TikTok, under walking underscore the underscore Shadowlands. Like and follow for teasers of our upcoming episodes. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends. Tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also. The more, the merrier. Thanks for listening to this episode. Kakite ano oyakoi. I'll see you again.
Thanks for listening.